Good morning. Praise God. So good. He says, uh, cast not away your confidence that you have in Jesus Christ. Because it has a great reward. But we have need of endurance. So that when we are finished, we'll receive what was promised. In the meantime, by faith, we receive abounding grace. So what do you have for an expectation of the result of your faith? Are you expecting that your faith will bring forth what you want? Especially when you need something. Are you expecting for grace to appear and satisfy your needs and your wants? God will give you the desires of your heart. Just ask. Ask, believe, and receive. Let Him figure out how to get that desire of your heart for you. Uh, Ask Him. Believe it. Picture it in your mind. Receive it. He'll figure out how to get it to you if it won't hurt you or hurt others. So we have expectations. And our expectations should be good, like Mark was saying. Pastor Mark was saying, you know, we need to have a larger picture. Well, believe for a larger picture. We want to think largely as far as God's love for people, because He loves every one of us. Every one of us here on earth, He loves us. We're all His children. He doesn't want to lose anybody. But we have expectations. Isaiah had expectations. He got a message from the Lord. In Isaiah 32, the Lord told him, Behold, a king will reign righteously, and princes will rule justly. Each will be like a refuge from the wind, and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a large rock in a parched land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be blinded, and the ears of those who hear will listen. So things will be set right. I'm sure that Isaiah saw a lot of things that were were not right. But he didn't really see the uh, end result of all this because it didn't really get that kind of right. There was a king that ruled rightly, righteously for a little bit, but then he, he kind of fell. All the kings, are, you know, some of them were just really bad. Some were terrible. Uh, some were good for a time and then and not so good. So he didn't really see God reigning righteously, continuously, and princes ruling justly. Yeah, sure, there's a prince that ruled justly occasionally. But the prediction was for the future, for our time, because we know that there is a king that rules righteously, and that's Jesus. God sent him to the world. So we can confidently expect good, because Jesus is our king that rules righteously. And righteousness wins. Love wins. Love is what it takes to rule righteously. You can't be just a conqueror and conquer all the people, then you're just there by yourself. <laughs> people have different ideas. Well, God likes to hear our ideas. He wants to hear what we have on our mind and kind of make things work. It continues on in Isaiah 32 and, and verse 17. And the work of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in secure dwelling and in undisturbed resting places. That's the type and shadow that Isaiah had of who we know to be king and who rules righteously and princes who rule justly. 
the body of Christ will rule justly. So he says, ask what you will. He loves to hear what you have to say. So why are we not ruling now? Well, we are to some degree. He is through us when we let him. And the church is making progress. The body of Christ is learning to be more than a conqueror in some areas by the power of love. As love creeps into our existence more and more, there will be more care for other people, more forgiveness. So the body of Christ is making progress. God's still working on us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. Some of the things that hold us up are the way we think. Does the Word say, believe in the Lord Jesus and confess your sins and you will be saved? No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Look in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Confess your sins? No. Confess Jesus as Lord? Yes. If we're lining up with God's Word, we have to, to quit confessing our sins and start confessing who we are in Christ Jesus. The King who reigns righteously has been revealed. He is the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 through 19, Jesus was revealed. He was walking through the area of uh, Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And one said, well, some people think that you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. And some people say that you're Elijah. And some people say you're some other prophet, you know. Who do you say that I am? So Simon Peter spoke up. He says, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, your revelation that I am the Christ. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Wow. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. The keys to bring healing to the body and to the mind. To bring food to the poor, to the hungry, and rest to the weary. The keys that will help people find what they've been looking for. To receive help to get where they want to go. The keys to bring peace to the world. The keys to stop the tyrants and to, uh, to help the righteous rulers lead. Because Jesus has said, you know, basically, he says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And Jesus has loved us in ways that uh, we don't see very often. You know, he stopped and talked to people. He helped them understand. He healed the sick. He healed the blind. He healed the, the deaf. He raised people from the dead. He rose from the dead himself. He gave himself as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for all of us once and for all. Because the lambs, that the Jewish people, the only people that really were kind of associated with God in those days, the only way that they could get forgiveness of their sins was temporary, and it was by sacrificing a, a lamb or a, a bull or a bird, depending on how wealthy they were, and shed the blood. Jesus did it himself. His precious blood. 
It is no stretch at all to say whatever we will allow or stop is allowed or stopped. Because Jesus said that, basically. Whatever you bind on earth is what shall have been bound in heaven. So, how do we work that? We follow the Holy Spirit. We used to say bind, we bind this, we bind this. We, we lose that. But there's a lot of other words to be used as far as understanding what binding and loosing is. It's not any particular formula of words or anything else. For instance, if we're bound by ropes, we would not be able to move very much. Consequently, Matthew sixteen nineteen means, in a way, when we are bound by ropes on earth, it shall have become a reality in heaven. Then if we became untied or loose ourselves on earth, it shall be that we are untied or loosed in heaven. If we are loosed, our supply from heaven is no longer bound. Binding and loosing, loosing and forgiving. Well, loosing is forgiving, basically. Binding is retaining. Don't retain people's sins. Forgive their sins. Loose them from the sins that they're in. You'll see some progress. If they're bound in their sins and you retain those sins and you don't forgive them, it'll go bad for all of us eventually because when you release people from their sins, that allows them to receive love from God to get out from under the burden that they're in, the unforgiveness or whatever that they're in. In John chapter 20, verse 22, 23, he says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them, on the disciples, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So, does your expectation allow you to believe that you can loose the bonds of fear, shock, grief, unforgiveness, and be set free from yourself, from others? We have to start with ourselves, right? The helmet of the hope of salvation, the eternal comfort and confident hope that we have in that hope of salvation is something that the devil will attack because Satan knows that if you don't know who you are, that you really are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you really do have a confident hope of salvation, you have an expectation of good things then he can more easily bring the cares of this life against you, against your thoughts. So you have the helmet of the hope of salvation to keep your thoughts protected and set on the fact that he has made a way regardless of what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Satan can bring the cares of this life against your thoughts to make you think you've lost already. And then you start believing negative. If you start thinking, well, I've already lost, why go on or why... Think positively. And you see this in the world every day. You know, somebody comes up to you and says, well, oh, yeah, well, I had a flat tire, you know, and a week ago, you know, my child got sick and needs in the hospital and got money going out here, money going out there, you know. And next thing you know, I'll, you know, they'll be taking my car away or whatever because I can't make the payments on it. You know, people just get into a rut there because one thing happens, you know, they kind of fall into a rut easily because they don't have the hope of salvation. We have the hope of salvation. We have the hope of the understanding that when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're part of Him and He's part of us. And He gives us help by the Holy Spirit and helps us know what to do every moment. All we have to do is listen and choose what voice we're listening to. The voices all sound about the same, but it helps to know what God's Word says. And, and the more we receive the truth, 
not just a bunch of religion or whatever, but the truth and grace, uh, the more we're able to discern what voice is the right voice to listen to. But believing negative will eventually render you ineffective without hope. But we do have hope. So binding, declaring to be unlawful, such as uh, I have hope and fearless confidence that Jesus has already made a way. Basically, I'm declaring unlawful the fact that I am down and out, that I don't have hope. That's unlawful. I'm binding it. Instead, I'm saying, I have hope and fearless confidence that Jesus has already made a way. We can shut the doors on Satan's bringing the cares of the world to us, trying to smother us with all kinds of thoughts that we've got to worry about this and the politics and the wars and everything else. You know, the cares of the world will try to smother our brain and keep us from thinking about or seeing what the real problem is that Satan's bringing these cares of the world, trying to smother our brain with that so we don't have a chance to fight back with the Word of God or with the hope that we have, the helmet of salvation. Declaring to be lawful, opening the door, would be something like, since I have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, I'll draw near to God with full assurance that faith brings. That's basically shutting the door on Satan and opening the door to the fact that I have the confidence to enter in the presence of God. In the presence of God, in the Judaism, in the temple, even the high priest couldn't go into the Holy, Holy of Holies. That was a place that they would go once a year. But first of all, they had to bring a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, a blood sacrifice onto the Holy of Holies. But they had to back into it because they hadn't been forgiven yet. They had to back into the Ark of the Covenant and put blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And then they could go back out and get another blood sacrifice and come in and face the ark. Well, Jesus, after he died, when he brought his blood through the ark at the Father's right hand, he was able to come straight in because he had no sin. The priest always had some sin or another, so they had to come in backwards the first time. Well, we have the opportunity to come straight in to the presence of God with no fear because we are sinless. We don't feel like it sometimes, but we are innocent. We're innocent. That's a hard word for most of us to say, right? I'm innocent. I'm clean before God. I'm clean. He's counting nothing against me. We have that blessing, that wonderful opportunity to come into the presence of God anytime we want to. And He's always there 24-7. In Isaiah 22, 22, we have a prophecy that sort of matches what Jesus said about binding and loosing. It's about the house of David. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. So that's the first one, I think, that got the ability to bind and loose. After Jesus was risen in Mark 16, 15 through 18, Jesus said to the disciples, He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed has been baptized shall be saved. And baptized not necessarily in water, baptized in fire of salvation. You know, it's what cleanses us. Get baptized in water is fine too. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. 
they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Even David, as much faith as he had, didn't just go around picking up stakes for the fun of it. Everything he did was by faith in a time of need. That's what they're talking about here, basically. Even if you accidentally drink some poison, it says, we're not going to be harmed. We're going to be okay. So, be led by the Holy Spirit, fearing nothing, following Jesus, and these things will happen. These signs will follow you, like laying hands on the sick, and they'll recover. We're the ones that bring Jesus to the people. He speaks to people through us. We uh, lay hands on the sick, his hands. Just to nail it down for binding and loosing, more examples, maybe for us especially. Don't keep things a secret, you know. There's no reason to hide. We're one body here, and we're all in one accord. What God's looking for is for the whole world to be in one accord, or everybody that will receive, that will accept Jesus Christ as Savior. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming, he'll have to go. When he goes, he'll send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. He said, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll uh, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they don't believe in me. In that one statement alone, he's basically saying the only sin there is is not believing in him of righteousness because you don't see me but you do see righteousness in you the world doesn't see righteousness because they don't have the holy spirit they need to have their eyes opened by the words that we speak they don't know jesus unless you bring jesus to them there's a lot of people that have heard of jesus but they have a wrong idea of what god is god is some big bad mean ogre out there that's going to slap you down if you do something wrong Religion has painted a, a really bad picture of our Father. Hardly anybody believes that there is a God called Father out there, or a Father called God. And God is both. He's our God and He's our Father. So how do we paint that picture of a good Father to the world? We present Jesus because Jesus is God. And present Jesus as the exact image of God the Father. And then show them what Jesus did in person so that they could see who God really is. In the Gospel of Matthew uh, uh, 18, verse 18, it says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15 through 18, he's talking about the casting out demons, speaking with new tongues, pick up serpents, drink deadly poison, not be harmed, lay hands on the sick. The uh, Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, Then should not this daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be set free from what bound her. Satan had bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, an Israelite, and had been bound for 18 years. And Jesus was saying, shouldn't this daughter of Abraham, who had been bound for 18 years, be set free? I guess he was basically saying, why haven't your priests, your rabbis or whatever, spoken some truth to her and helped her? So why don't we? Somebody's uh, bound up by unforgiveness. We could maybe help them by helping them see that Jesus forgave them. Jesus forgave me so I can forgive you. If we hold on to our unforgiveness, then we won't forgive even though we have been forgiven. The example of forgiveness that Jesus used was when one of the Marys came and washed his feet with her hair in oil and dumped the 
some very expensive perfume. And somebody kind of said, well, you know, she shouldn't be doing that or whatever. And he said, well, who do you think would love more, the one who hadn't been forgiven much or the one who's been forgiven much? And they, they said, well, yeah, I guess probably the one that's been forgiven more would be, be the one that would love more. So the people that have been the worst, I guess, that have been forgiven by God and know they're forgiven by God will be the ones that are the best lovers. They're willing to do anything for that person that set them free and help them through the situation. If you helped a neighbor that you saw do some really stupid thing and just walk up to them and said, hey, you know, if I can help you out, let me know. I mean, uh, love you. God loves you. Be led by the Holy Spirit. They're going to be your best friend if that really helps them get set free. If you've given some water to a stranger, you've set love towards me. If you've clothed somebody that's naked, you've set your love towards me. There's a lot of ways to lose somebody from their situation. If somebody's naked in the street or whatever and they got locked out or whatever, give them some clothes. And that's probably going to be one of the best moments of their life is get clothes. If we go out of our way and, and help that person, that's going to be one more strike for the love of Jesus. Jesus said basically on the uh, woman that poured the expensive oil on, on him that this story will be told throughout all generations. Your story will be told throughout all generations. So Luke chapter 13 verse 16. Then should not the daughter of Abraham who Satan has bound for 18 years be set free from what bound her? In Matthew 16, 19, the Message Bible says, You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, a no on earth is a no in heaven. And that's talking about the same scripture that gives you the uh, keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you shall bound on earth shall always be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Well, you'll have complete and free access to God's kingdom. That applies to everybody that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We have the keys to open any door and every door. No more barriers between us and the Father. No more barriers between the Father and us. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. Is it an open and shut case then? No, it's following the Holy Spirit who points us to the Word of God by showing us the love thing to do. God is love. Our prayer should mostly deal with ourselves and who we are in Christ Jesus first so that we can freely forgive and be free in Jesus. We don't always have to deal with sins. There are other problems to deal with. We need to forgive ourselves often and forgive others more often. Helping others to see God's love for them and offering them his forgiveness unto the free gift of righteousness. So we can't be righteous without his total forgiveness. We have received it. So that salvation can be theirs. And that's what they need to know. They need to realize that God has forgiven them past, present, and future. So much has been horned by religion saying that his blood was enough for the past sins, but not enough for the present sins, not enough for the future sins. I think Paul repented on his preaching against the man that was doing a pretty heinous sin with the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he kind of repented from that, saying he probably shouldn't have come down that hard. 
because it was really works. He's talking about works instead of uh, believing. It's faith that gets us in touch with God. It's not works. It's important to let the people know that receive Jesus, you know, that they do now have the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that they're still the righteousness of God when they mess up because God has already punished Jesus for all of, all of our sins. He's not going to punish the sin twice. In Matthew eighteen nineteen through 20, Jesus said, When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there also. So don't be bound by grief, shock, fear, unforgiveness. You have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. A key goes into the switch physically or by remote control, right? You've got remote control for your TV that turns the switch that changes the channel. Well, for us, it's pretty much remote control. If I hate, I know that hating someone is not Christ-like, not like Jesus. I can at least bind that spirit of hate and ask God for love, for the love to release me from that condition of confusion. That's what it is. It's confusion when we hate. I use my keys and say who I am in Christ. He is teaching me how to use my new heart. And better yet, I use the keys and proclaim, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can because I believe that Jesus' blood and finished work is more powerful than any work or any wrong that I can possibly do. Saying what he says is the key. Love. And you don't have to say anything more than that. Jesus said, be angry and sin not. He said, forgive 70 times, seven times. If anyone asks you to carry their bags, carry their bags. If someone asks you to, for your coat, give it to them. God will repay. It's a promise. Can a leopard change his spots? Well, I can't change myself, but I have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is the master of the keys that I need every time I need to lock the doors or unlock the doors. He shows me when to say, when to give grace, and how to show grace to the people. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, If I preach grace and they receive grace, then grace will teach them how to live. Titus 2, 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. I don't tell someone to straighten up and do better, because I know that if they do straighten up and do better and succeed, even temporarily, just because I said to, that they will begin to trust in their own ability to do right. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to trust in Him. Because we can't do it. We might do it temporarily. We'll give it a good shot you know, once or twice. You know, maybe once a week, you know, try to do better. But we're not going to do it. Just not going to work. I will point them to the cross and help them see that Jesus did indeed take all my sins in his body for me and as me, setting me free from sin forever. So the real me is set free from sin forever. Even those sins that might come along that I might slip into, but not me, because I died to sin, they won't be counted against me. So just don't tell people to change their spots. But instead, tell them that God does not punish twice and Jesus already bore them all. Tell them it is not about circumcision or mutilation of the flesh or works, good or bad. 
It's about circumcision of the spirit, not circumcision of the flesh. And don't let's forget the uh, everlasting consolation. Be comforted and hope. Paul said, let grace comfort and strengthen your heart with unconditional love right now. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So let it sink in. You are in him and he is in you. He has unconditional love and life everlasting. So what is the will of the Father? Jesus said in John 6, 39, 40, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on that last day. So who or what could ever separate us from God's love? The church in Corinth had hosted a man preaching a different Jesus, one who taught that salvation required circumcision of the flesh. If you think you've got to do something to get God's favor, and you start trying to do something to get God's favor, you're making the grace of God of no effect because you're slipping into self-performance instead of his performance. If you want to do something that uh, make yourself better, that's okay. But don't do it to think you're making any progress or any points with God. So circumcision is a big religious thing, which is nothing more than mutilation of the flesh. The circumcision of the spirit is a totally different Greek word than the, uh, than the circumcision of the flesh. So Paul got wind of the fact that this uh, guy was preaching uh, circumcision in his church in Corinth. He wrote a second letter to Corinth and invited them to examine themselves, examine their faith and his gospel message that he had preached when he was there. And by so doing, to recognize that Jesus is in them, circumcision of the Spirit. He preceded the letter basically with, a, since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me, do you want to believe in the circumcision of the flesh as a way to get to heaven? Or do you want to believe that Jesus died and rose again for you? was your perfect sacrifice once and for all. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, Paul bases his idea here. Of, of, and uh, in Isaiah chapter 56, Isaiah talks about the dogs and, and the uh, evil workers. So when he wrote to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, he said, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, who worshiped in the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Beware of the works to get into heaven or to gain God's favor. A lot of times we'll try to make up for something we did wrong. That's not good either because you end up getting back into counting on yourself, your self-performance, to make up for what you did wrong. It wasn't you that did wrong. It was your old flesh that's just hanging around that did wrong uh, because you're a new creation. For the explanation of Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, you can look at Isaiah chapter 56, verse 10 and 11, where Paul found it. It was an accusation against the greedy pastors, preachers, whatever, and pastors that didn't have any understanding of what God really wanted for the people, and also those that were preaching the circumcision of the flesh. For Paul, it was essential that the Corinthians see for themselves that Jesus is in them circumcision of the spirit 
not only in him and Timothy and Barnabas in the hierarchy of the disciples, apostles, or whatever at the time. So that was what his understanding was, that he needed to make sure that they knew that, that Christ was in them as well. So he said, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. If you'll give yourself a good deep look, get past the greed and selfishness and lust and hurry of the world, you will recognize Jesus is in you. The Word of God guiding, helping, protecting and comforting you in in those dire circumstances we all go through occasionally and also in some of the meaningless situations alike. Who will put authority over you? Who will you let be your authority? Who will you follow? That's basically Paul's question. There are lots of distractions available for everybody, no matter what the interest. Proceed with caution, because many of them will take away your faith. Mostly those that make you think you need to do something to save yourself, or to make up for your mistakes. Dokimazo is the Greek word for examine. It translates a little differently in different situations, but the way Paul used it here, it translates this way. To recognize as genuine after close examination. So he he was asking them to stop and remember. Make the decision. Choose life. It says in Hebrews, cast not away your confidence that you have in Jesus. Your confidence in Jesus is that what he did is what saves you. So to recognize that as genuine after close examination. To realize that there's no way that you could ever do good enough to make it to heaven. You have to realize that there's only one way, that there's only one time that it ever happened, ever. But it was for all those in the past that believed in God's provision coming in the future, those now and those in the future, everyone that will believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. So choose life. Don't beat yourself up. Jesus took all the beating that was necessary for you. He likes you, just as you are, and he can work with that. Don't try to take away the spots from the leopard. Jesus will take care of that. Luke wrote in Acts 17.11 about those in Berea who were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And Paul, in his his first letter in Corinthians 4.4, says, I am not conscious of anything against myself, and I feel blameless, but I am not vindicated and quitted before God on that account. It is the Lord himself who examines and judges me. I think you realize these Corinthians were going to do the same thing, though. They'd realize that it's not others that will judge me, whether I'm circumcised or not, or whether I do good works or not. And every time you talk something about circumcision in the Bible, you can basically say, if you're doing it just to gain points with God, that's not going to work. Paul encouraged those at Corinth twice to examine themselves at communion. In his first letter, he asked the Corinthians to examine themselves the first time, presenting communion as Jesus showed him. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, 25, he said, He received this from Jesus. This bread is my body and this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup to call me affectionately to remember it. 
And then uh, 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, Let a man thoroughly examine himself, and only when he sees that Jesus is in him or her, and taken all judgment into his own body for them, he should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I've added a few words there, but I believe they're, they're true. I think Jesus actually did show Paul this communion because he wasn't there at the Last Supper. Quite possibly, I believe Jesus was in the flesh when he was talking to Paul about it. Paul had studied the Old Testament and all the sacrifices. There were a bunch of different sacrifices for different things. The sacrifices were all a blood, you know, a blood from a bird, blood from a, a lamb, blood from a bull, depending on the situation. Some of the sacrifices were bread. They weren't blood or meat. There was a lot of different sacrifices. Paul had probably started studying when he was four or five years old, at least, and gained a superiority in Judaism. I think he grew up in uh, Turkey, but he was in J Jerusalem there, you know, one of the disciples was stoned to death for being a Christian. And he was young enough, I guess, to where he was just watching the coats of the Jewish guys that were with him that were throwing rocks at Stephen. He knew what sacrifices were all about. So I believe Jesus kind of really brought that to the forefront of his understanding about the sacrifice that he had made when he was on the cross and what the sacrifice really means and what the sacrifices in Judaism had been a type and shadow of was not necessarily for the forgiveness of sins or for the making it to heaven. It was basically uh, once a year that most people would bring a sacrifice. The sacrifices came on and on, and they were all meat, blood, some that were bread. So let a man thoroughly examine himself, and only when he sees that Jesus is in him or her and that he has taken all judgment into his own body for them, for that, that person that's uh, examining. So should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Why does he have to thoroughly examine? Well, because if he's not believing, he won't be getting the healing that's available there. So thoroughly examine the body like the priest did in the temple. Paul said we must examine ourselves before eating the body. So have faith that Jesus paid the full price for all sins and canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us that cause sicknesses and death and disease. Without faith, which comes by hearing the word of Christ and judging the body rightly, we have no justification to receive the healing of our diseases that he paid for. If we see Christ Jesus on the cross, that's where he took all our punishment for all the sins, and gave us healing by his stripes. He was beat up, mutilated. Without the faith involved in that, we won't receive the healing. We're not examining our body. We're examining his body, the perfect body of God that was sent forth for a living sacrifice for us. So it's not mind over matter. Positive thinking is not a bad thing. But to count on that to get to heaven or to come out from under a disease or something like that, that doesn't work. It's not mind over matter. It's the way God sees it. He who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. Recognize His body is the true bread, as He said in John chapter 6, verse 48 through 51. He said, I am the living bread. Your forefathers ate the manna, yet they died. 
But this is the bread that comes from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and never die. The bread I shall give for the world is my flesh. Jesus said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Is the blood of Jesus, the Son of the living God, less powerful than your sins? If a sinner has never heard the grace message preached, and then he hears it, he'll think, wow, I can do whatever I want to do. But his heart's not been changed if he hadn't received Jesus. So I don't think it's a bad idea to let them know up front. They don't have to confess their sins. It's not if you believe in Jesus and confess your sins, you receive eternal life. It's you believe in Jesus Christ and uh, you have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, they died on the cross for you. You have eternal life. It's not confessing your sins. So don't make the leopard change his spots. If they try to do whatever they want to do and it's bad stuff, you know, they'll learn pretty quick that that's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> We're totally reconciled to God. He's even given us the message of reconciliation to let everybody know that we're all reconciled to God. We all have the opportunity to approach God through Jesus Christ. If a sinner has never heard the grace message and they hear it, they feel like, do whatever I want to do. It's a too-good-to-be-true message of the Father to his people who became his children. He says, I have made you mine. And not only that, he says, I am now yours. You're trying to tell me I can go out and murder somebody, you know, and still be saved. They take you to the nth degree, you know, the, the worst thing they can think of, you know. I do this and I can still be saved. You know, try and trip you up, try to take you off your stance that you really are saved, past, present, and future. You don't have to confess your sins every day. You don't have to confess your sins from the past. You don't have to confess your sins that you might do in the future. What you want to do is you confess what Jesus says about you. You are our Son of God. John 3.16, you know, where God so loved His Son so much that whoever believes in Him shall have everlasting life. Not die. We already died in Him. He died for us and as us. It's a too good to be true message of the Father. So let's counteract the death message with our message of life. You know, there's a lot of ministers out there with the message of the law. And if they minister the law, they're ministering death. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll hear it now from the Message Bible. Romans 5, 1 and 2. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with Him and make us fit for Him, we have it all together with God because of our Master Jesus, and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He has already thrown open His door to us. We find ourselves standing there where we always hoped to be, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. I thank you for a small part of the body of Christ here, that we are in one accord with you, that we know you love us, so much that you sent your son to die for us. We say we are redeemed. Our redemption is the forgiveness of our trespasses. 
by your grace lavished upon us, causing us to know your kind intention that you purposed in Jesus, so that we'd have an administration suitable to the fullness of all times, summing up all things in the heavens and the earth. We have an inheritance. We've obtained it through Jesus Christ. It is promised that by believing him, we receive what was pre-planned for those who believe. The praise of his glory, Jesus. Made so by your purpose, you who works all things after the counsel of your will for those who were first to hope in Christ. We are sealed in him. Having listened to the message of truth, the good news of our salvation, our Savior's work on our behalf. In effect, imprisoned, beaten, punished, and nailed to a cross in my place, as me, for me, as us, for us, and for us and all mankind. Having also believed, we were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise by you who does not lie, and you have given us the pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of your own possession. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for helping us to help others to understand and believe and receive. Because all we have to do is ask and believe and receive. In Jesus' name. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.